the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 190, recorded Friday, April 10th, 2015. Nowhere and everywhere. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Miss Victoria Ferrari from uh, from Synergy CT. How are you, ma'am? Good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, Victoria was actually uh, a recent uh, guest. Not guest. You were a participant in one of our crosstalks uh, with Melissa Dillman and Kirsten Nelson. So she has survived that, and she's joining us again. So. Yes. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, also with us is our buddy Bill Brown uh, from BD, BD Communications and Ideas for AV, right? Yeah, it's uh, BD Brown Communications. Um, I kind of left the Ideas for AV uh, back <laughs> uh, right. for a little bit, but uh, BD Brown Communications, and that's great. All right. Also with us is Nathan Smith from Go Rave Audio. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well, Tim. Thanks for having me. This is my very first Google Hangout. Really? Your first one? <laughs> so I've seen a couple of the AV Week chats, and uh, I hopefully can contribute some useful commentary for everybody, especially from the marketing and the consumer point of view, because that's really where I spend most of my time. Well, yeah, I, I, I met Nathan um, actually long about through through Twitter and, and Cedia, actually. We did a, a video with with Nathan at, at the Cedia uh, Expo last year. Uh, Go Rave does uh, some really cool, uh, interesting things with, with the uh, home audio and in-home speaker systems. So, um, you know, and, and they're out of, um, is it Vancouver? Close, Edmonton, Alberta. Edmonton, Alberta, all right. Um, I won't say anything about the Oilers, um, if you are an Oiler fan, <laughs> except for the fact that no the blue, except- no well, except for the fact that the Blues did clinch the Central Division last night. That's all I'll say. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> last but not least, you know what? Every once in a while, every few years, we get we get something. Uh, last but not least, Andy Barris uh, from Advent Systems. How are you, sir? Excellent. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay, so first up, um, if you're if you're watching this, I'm doing something different with my setup. So, and I've told these folks as such. So, if I'm looking in weird places, somebody send me a text or an email or a Twitter or something, and I'll figured out but i like screen sharing we're trying this in here so the first very first story is not really a story it's more or less a hey you should go do this um infocom is doing their uh t-shirt contest again so if you are artistically inclined or not uh just if you want a bunch of free t-shirts and um and and bragging rights i guess uh you know go to their website uh we'll put a link on on the show page as well uh, but you can design the Infocom 2015 T-shirt, which I think is kind of cool. So, uh, but yeah, you have to get it in uh, by the 19th of of April. So, uh, so you, get, you have to take that out. All right. Uh, first up, we've got a, a story from our buddies over at CE Pro, Joel Spira, uh, the founder of Lutron. 
passed away this week. Uh, he was 88. Uh, according to them, quote, unquote, Joe, uh, Lutron Electronics founder uh, Joel Spira leaves legacy of innovation in lighting controls, motorized shades, energy management, and home automation. Bill, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, what's going to be the legacy? What's going to be the, the long-lasting uh, piece that, that Mr. Spear is going to leave us? Um, I think, like, um, like any innovators, is just led the way. I mean, well-respected, um, the little that I knew uh, of him. Um, it's, it's just I think that's what our, our industry needs um, to spotlight more of people that um, kind of lead the way. And, and I, I think the, the the most that I can can remember is that he just really, um, I guess, loved the industry and wanted to make a contribution to it. And so um, I, th- I think that's, um, in a nutshell, anyone want to be known for. But I think um, for for us to who have known him and had the opportunity to to see what contribution he has made to our our industry, we'll remember that. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Andy, from your t- standpoint, where do you think uh, Joel lies in uh, the pantheon? I guess of of um, uh, the past few years, we've had a number of, of AV uh, innovators um, uh, pass away. So where does where does Joel lie in that in that span? I think he lies right in the middle of that mix. Um, you know, we lost a very important person at Crestron, as you know, as we all know. And we're going to be seeing more and more of this, unfortunately. Um, we're all getting older. Um, I have a father who's 91 years old. So these kinds of stories do, you know, make me sad. And, you know, an innovator like himself led the way as far as building the control systems and, uh, you know, the energy efficiency. I really don't know what he did of late, to be perfectly frank. Um, at his age, I assume his uh, input was less and less over the years. Yeah, one of the things uh, I was talking with my buddy uh, Matt Scott, who's a huge uh, Lutron fan and uh, actually uh, was, was in a couple of events with Mr. Sparrow. Uh, compared it to George Feldstein a lot, where he worked a lot, uh, he was very innovative. But I think that over the last few years, uh, he, he, I think Andy's right. You know, kind of you know tailed himself out and, and you know had a had a decent succession plan. So, uh, Victoria, from your standpoint, where do you think uh, where do you think he lies? That was really poorly stated. Where do you think he, uh, Mr. Spiro is in, in the, yeah, that was really, really badly done. Um, where do you think uh, the founder of Lutron is in, in the span of, of AV? Oh, yeah, for sure he's, he's up there, you know, with uh, some of the other legacies that have, have uh, recently, you know, passed on. The, what I thought was interesting, um, one of the quotes in the article was that, you know, he he had no idea where the company was going to go when he started it in his apartment. You know, it was like, how can you, you know, and that's how a lot of visionaries are. It's like they just have this awesome idea and it just blows up from there. You know, so that was cool that he uh, that he didn't he didn't he didn't realize it. You know, he just had a passion about something and and went for it. Um, I also it also made me think. You know, and and uh, when when we lost the Crestron founder as well, it's like. Who who's gonna be the legacy, you know, 50 years from now? Um, 
And I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint anyone except, you know, maybe you, Mr. Tim Albright. But... Oh, <laughs> good night. Do I pay you enough for that? Good. Wow. Oh, but yeah, you know, it just kind of made me think like, you know, what's coming out now that's that's going to have that same kind of impact and I couldn't pinpoint anything anything exactly, but I don't know, maybe some of the other guys have have ideas. Well, and Nathan, uh, Victoria makes a good point um, from your standpoint, because Go Rave is, is relatively new, right? Your parent company isn't, and correct me on that if I'm wrong. Um, it wouldn't be the first time today. Uh, so where are we going? I mean, where, where are the innovators? You guys are doing some interesting things when it comes to speakers. I mentioned that at the top. Um, so is it is it home automation? Is it home speakers? Is it... Is it control? Is it um, you know transporting video over fiber or some other you know transport we haven't seen yet? Where do you think that, uh, like Victoria mentioned, you know, in fifty years, who is who is going to be the innovator? It's, it's tough to say. Um, when when a, a, a founder of a major company that does pass away, I think for, for from our standpoint as a manufacturer, it highlights um, the the business story more than the product innovation. I mean, Lutron products are in probably the majority of the homes that we have in North America. Uh, but his his business, his step-by-step uh, -step process from, I think, uh, late 50s through the 60s to the 70s, building products that were accessible and easy to use and easy to install, um, that's that's where mass adoption comes from. If uh, if Go Rave uh, is, is going to learn anything from Luchon, it's uh, giving the installer something that's easy to work with that makes them money, giving the end user something that fits their, their lives and uh, doesn't make them work hard to get a result that they love. Um, so I think when companies do that, uh, they're going to get, they're going to achieve mass adoption and, and success. Is that the, the legacy then? Is, you know, making sure that what manufacturers, and, and we have one on, so let's, let's ask him, uh, is that, you know, making sure that the integrators, it's easy for them. Um, I'm not saying make it too easy, but there, there is a fine line there. Uh, we actually talked about that last week when it comes to making sure that the integrators understand what they're doing and, and they get support from, from the manufacturers. But making it easy enough for them to where it's profitable for them to put in, but also mass adoption from, uh, from the end user, from the consumer standpoint. Exactly. The more complex something is for the installer to uh, sell means the more time it takes to train, the more time it takes to install. Therefore, it's more expensive for the end user, which lifts that product now from the, the mass adoption, everybody can afford it, up to, uh, you know, top five or the top one percent. When, when that happens, you, you, you cut your market size down to a very niche market where there's uh, people with loads of cash available to afford the product that you're trying to install. So if it's difficult for the installer, it's also difficult for the end user because uh, they have to pay more for the expertise to have, have that product installed or that system set up to do whatever it is they need to do. Um, so with complexity comes comes cost. Oh, that's, that's, very, that's very true, you know. Um, all right, so uh, next story here. I'll see if I can't screw this com up completely. Um, from our buddies over at CE Pro, Netflix TV series House of Cards puts an AMX in the White House. <clears throat> Literally. Now, here's the thing. We, we, we actually did a story on this originally when it was put in a couple years ago. Um, 
in the actual war room in, in the White House, there is an AMX system. So the producers of House of Cards, which you have, if you haven't read House of Cards, or read, good Lord, if you haven't watched House of Cards, it's a, it's, it's a political story. It's only available on Netflix. It's one of the more successful um, stories of online streaming uh, productions. Uh, stars Kevin Spacey. So when the producers of House of Cards was trying to emulate and, and recreate the White House, they went down so far as to put an AMX system in. So Andy, we're going to start with you on this. Um, product placement aside, and I don't know if Joe Andrewless had a hand, if you know they, they helped do that or whatever. Um, I, I'm poking fun. Joe Andrewless is the is the uh, VP of, of marketing for AMX. Um, I don't know, you know, the ins and outs, or if they just said, you know what, we need an AMX system in here. But how? The question is this, Andy: How are how how would companies like AMX uh, or Extron or Aurora or whoever get their products in uh, high-profile programs like this to raise their level uh, and to make it a little bit, you know, uh, more acceptable to to customers? Well, how they get it in initially, I would think, would be a local consultant who got that in there initially. But um, it, to me, the story has two different things. It's stating, you know, it's product placement, like you said, but it's also authenticity. And the producers of House of Cards wanted to keep it as authentic as possible by having the older series Madero touchscreens in there. Okay. Um, AMX wanted to put the new ones in there, and apparently they didn't do that. I don't know if, if it's something they offered to pay the producers and they declined. I don't know. I'm speculating on that, so I shouldn't even say it. But, um, you know, there's, there's a couple different things going on here, but um, I think it all boils down to the beginning where a consultant possibly just specified AMX, or maybe they were in the Pentagon or some other places at the time. And they grabbed a foothold in Washington, D.C. versus Crestron. I know AMX recently hired uh, somebody from the D.C. area, well, maybe six, eight months ago. Um, and he's, you know, he was touring with, uh, I believe AMX was doing something back then. And he gave a little talk about uh, some of the rooms that he was in and the lack of security in there, as a matter of fact, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it all boils down to whoever initially spec those and put them in. Uh, actually, Nathan, from from your standpoint, let let's bring you on this because um, how would you let's let's use you guys as an example? How would Go Rave maybe put it into? I don't know. Orange is the new black. Let's use another Netflix show. Um, put put uh, Orange is the new, you know put Go Rave speakers into Orange is the new black. How you know how would you guys go about doing that? I think well. First, let me say how awesome it is that uh, the producers of House of Cards used AMX the right way mm -hmm. to product placement. Yes, but also authenticity. Great kudos for them. Uh, one of the worst product pieces of product placement that I can think of is on the show uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield. <clears throat> Agents Agents of Shield is a is a secret government agency, and they all drive Lexus SUVs. And I'm thinking. What semi-military <laughs> organization is driving a Lexus SUV for anything? Um, so that's terrible product placement. And I think it detracts from the show. But here, here we're using a clever piece of hardware that is actually used in the, in the real situation. Yep. And uh, so kudos for, for AMX. Um, 
for us, you know, we're we're uh, an audio product that that works based on your laptop or on your phone, or the device is the source. So probably difficult for us to get into uh, Orange Is the New Black because our the music that the people will be playing would just be in the soundtrack of the show. They wouldn't probably um, show a person uh, pressing play on their Go Rave app and and getting some music, but. Uh, certainly, the step one I think is to talk to the producers of the show and say, "Hey, team, is, is there room this season for uh, two shots of this audio product?" Um, and they say, "Yep, it's a hundred thousand bucks." We'd say, as a startup, we'd probably say, mm, "A little rich." We'd probably do a TV spot for 100k. Uh, but if they say, "Yeah, give us some, give us your product and uh, 10 grand," well, okay, well, we'd probably talk. Well, I was gonna say, you know, that that, that that's a good question because. You know, you're looking at a TV spot. My impression in, in all the the marketing stuff that I've I've read going through you know um, media grad grad school is product placement actually has a, a bigger adoption than traditional commercials than traditional ads do because people get to see it in real life, get to see a real use case scenario. Um, you know, let's you know, take the actual story. You know, AMX. Uh, could do a commercial, absolutely. Not on Netflix, because that's not the, the model of Netflix, but they could put it on the Super Bowl, right? They could spend $3 million. But it doesn't show exactly what it is, right? Here you've got you know a 45-minute, hour-long program. Granted, they're not in the war room the entire time, but it's showing exactly how it's being done. Now, to your point, is it worth $100,000 to you? To, to have it in there, or is it is it less than that? Um, take away the the startup part of you guys. Is it is it worth? I mean, is it worth spending money on something like that? I think yes. If we if we had the cash flow to support that that expense, certainly. Uh, you know, this this House of Cards story is a is a coup for AMX. Be- beautiful piece. Um, for us, we'd have to look at a situation where yeah, it does show that real life usage of the product, uh, people enjoying it, and um, certainly, if we weren't in the startup and we had we had the money to look at that kind of option, yeah, in a heartbeat, yeah, it's, it's a it's a wonderful way to communicate what the product does, how it behaves in your life, and and how it affects your lifestyle. Yeah. All right, Victoria, from your from your standpoint, um, what does this say uh, about maybe some of the adoption or um, the uh, normal use case uh, for things like control systems as a you know, somebody who runs a control company, uh, programming company, I think it's, it's exciting because it shows Americans and it shows people who are watching the show, hey, this stuff is cool and user-friendly. Um, but from your standpoint, uh, you know, when you walk into, into clients, is it something where you can point at and say, you know, here's, here's a real-life a real life sort of use case scenario? For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 good in a bunch of ways all, all around. You know, it exposes the, uh, the product and the concept of it, you know, and, and you can even say, hey, did you see it on House of Cards, you know, or, or when you show them a picture, they may say, you know, oh, hey, I saw that on House of Cards. So for sure, it's definitely a conversation piece, and um, I think it it subconsciously, is a, it's a subconscious thing, too, that gets across to, to the people watching watching the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Brown, not only are you a talented consultant and AV guy, but you also help uh, folks, you know, wrap their brain around this and wrap their brain around how to to use technology. You know, same question to you that I gave to Victoria. Is this something that you could use? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the the number one thing first, it has to be a cool factor because when end users see things like this on the TV show or on a movie, it's like one, how it's working and can it work that way in my environment? Um, and I, th I think for manufacturers to really take advantage of this, and I don't know if um, AMX did, is something that I'm instituting in, in my business now is what's called design thinking. And so not just saying, hey, I want my devices or my things just there, but how does it make sense to be in your show? How does it add to? How does at the end of the day people say, hey, I want a control system because not just the cool stuff um, that it can do, but what you know, how it makes me feel, or how it's it's moving along the story. And I think there's a lot of devices in, in Pro AV that really can kind of get beyond the equipment to really help people. Um, I think, as was mentioned before. Um, be a part of their lifestyle. And so the more what I'm able to do in my consulting business is say, hey, let's look at the right technology for your organization, not just any technology. And so the more that we can see AMX control systems or displays or something really enhancing our lives, our telling a story or something, I think that's a way that we can really look for other ways to, to let that invisible thing that is pro AV because most of the times I would hear it's like AV what's that it's like it's everywhere and it's nowhere at the same time so the more that we're able to help um, not just producers but um, executives and leaders see that technology is is really a part of your lifestyle and what's going on, I think we can we can go from there and you'll probably see it in a lot more movies and um, um, and television shows like this. Okay, so help me out here. How do you get around or how do you get to the question how AV makes you feel? Is, is this part of the you know infocom's exec, ex, exceptional experience or is it you know um, the frustration or lack of frustration factor? I've never heard how, how AV makes you feel as, as a phrase, so help me out on that one. Well, t technology, I mean, just the word, when you hear technology, it does something to you physically. Yeah, it scares it most people. That's what it does. It scares most people, right. right. So, um, so the more that you can have them understand or acknowledge how you're feeling, and then you get a professional behind that to say, okay, I want to put the right technology in front of you, so there is an ease of use or ease of understanding or, you know, this control system takes away the fear of, you know, blacking out the screens or lights or anything. So it's just a one touch, you know, feeling. So it is the more that we're not afraid to have that conversation that how does technology or AV make you feel will get you to the point that you have the right technology. And so we're designing the technology that really understands that some people like the nitty-gritty kind of ugly stuff um, and other you know other people like it to look pretty and and kind of do all the other things that they want so the more that you ask that question and some AV guys 
don't want to ask, well, how does this, you know, projector make you feel? I don't really, you know, it just works. And I'll tell you all the lumens and everything of everything like that. But the feeling part of it um, gets into the usability of it yeah. and the effective use in your organization. And I think that is something that we can do more. And that's um, what I do as a consultant, really help people understand that they're utilizing the right technology for them. Okay. No, that, that, that makes, I, I get you now. You're right. <laughs> guys, guys. So I, I uh, like to comment on that because that, that is interesting. And I've had um, clients, you know, tell me or make decisions based on feelings. And, you know, going back to the product placement, for the most part, I feel that it could be good. You know, it's good for our industry. But also at the same time, it, it can backfire a little bit too because, you know, people see these these huge um, video walls with touch interactivity on CNN and then they're like, hey, I want to put this, you know, in my conference room. And they have no idea that <laughs> how much it costs and what it's really going to take and, you know, how the, the anchors are trained on it and they make it look real good and real easy on TV. Um so, you know, I mean, I've had conversations where, you know, I've had, I, there was one job in particular, it was a, a, a geologist, um, geophysicist room, and I pushed them to do projection, you know, blended projection, it was a small room, but no, the guy wanted a video wall. He wanted a video wall, and I'm like, okay, all right, you want to spend the extra money on a video wall, you're going to have mullions in your, you know, maps and data that you're looking at but you know he went they went with the video wall and they love it so so there you go well isn't that the bottom line though i mean yes we we, we try to educate our customers and and you know direct them in the, in the right way but at the end of the day to you know like victoria was saying if they've got an idea in their head and that's what they want the bottom line is that you know at the end of the project are they happy right um, and, and yes, we, we have to educate them and, and present to them all the, all the pros and cons to what it is they, they think they want. But, you know, and sometimes they are right. You know, that, that is what they really want. So good for the, is it, was it a geologist or and not overwhelm them with all the technology? Well, yeah, yeah. Andy's right. Yeah. Did you say it was a geologist? Right, the customer is not always right, but they're always the customer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. It's been a long week. Let's just say that. Okay. All right. Um, from Mashable, IBM is getting serious about the Internet of Things to the tune of $3 billion with a B, in case I'm not enunciating that correctly. B with a billion, billion dollars. Um, they go on to the first paragraph, quote, unquote, if you're driving home from work and an unexpected, unexpected storm is heading your way, consider how helpful it would be to get a digital notification pushed to your windshield so you can plan your route accordingly. Mr. Nathan, we're going to kick this off with you because you've got the, uh, the GoRave app and you've got some Internet of Things happening anyway. Um, where are we at with, with AV and audio and video and control and the Internet of Things? Are these two separate avenues? Uh, am I trying to make something out of that that's not there, or are they really kind of closer than than some people are comfortable with? I think I think they are close. Um, it's it's a choice of how how embedded the end user needs to feel with all the gadgets they have around them. 
uh, and another another uh, another part ingredient in that mix is uh, how much how much money they have and how much time they have to learn all these things. Um, there's not a great unifying uh, force out there in the market today that's saying this is how Internet of Things works. Everybody's going to be on standard A, you know, uh, Zigbee or uh, another protocol. So, uh, in our opinion, yeah, we will be adding uh, more network connectivity to our our products um, because there is a groundswell of interest and demand, and people want to integrate our stuff with with their stuff, and there's no way to do that. So, uh, the, the standards as they evolve. Um, It'll be in response to, I think, uh, the, the feedback from the integrators, less so from the from the consumers. Consumers want want a result. How much energy and, and learning and life input they they're going to be willing to put into that result uh, will vary. And I think uh, the the platform uh, that delivers the result that most consumers want with the least life input, the least learning, the least cost, uh, and the least hassle. They'll have the uh, they'll have the upper hand, and that platform will be become dominant. So the simpler it is for the, the person to learn to use and adopt, um, that's that's the way to go. And 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 we, Gorave as a manufacturer, uh, certainly are holding holding that uh, directive very very high up in our in our design and our product plan because, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, with complexity comes cost, not just cost. For dollar cost for installation, but uh, learning and training cost, and how much enjoyment I get out of something if it's difficult to use every time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that that I think is our our take on on IoT and and the next five to ten years uh, as that evolves. All right, uh, Andy, from your standpoint uh, and, and from your perspective, where do you think we are? Um, is IoT you know two a separate thing, or is or, are we in the AV space, a little bit closer uh, to IoT. Well, they're they're interrelated, obviously. I think IoT um, is it's in its infancy right now. It really is. Um, right now, we do have a few things out there, like, you know, refrigerators, public household appliances, and now cars on the windshield. You do have those uh, instrumentation on the windshield. You can see. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious on IBM and what their direction is with this. Are they going to pursue a new technology that will incorporate everything? Obviously, you know, they're in it to make money. Yeah. Um, how are they going to measure their ROI? Are they going to come up with some new groundbreaking technology or some new uh, platform, for instance, that everybody will have to purchase and be on that same platform and they'll clean up on that? What I'd like to see him do, honestly, is spend a little bit of money and come up with a new name besides Internet of Things. <laughs> I don't know about well, you guys, but I, I don't know. I never liked it. Um, there's got to be something better we can call this. Well, and let's let's not forget that that IBM is is not the com the, com the computer company of 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 our grandparents, right? Uh, our parents and our grandparents. And, uh, IBM has turned into big data. They they they're doing lots and lots of research. I mean, this is not the computer manufacturer of the 1960s, 1970s. They're doing some pretty innovative things. Um, Andy's right, probably right. You know, they could spend part of that three billion dollars uh, coming up with a with a new name. So, uh, Bill, where where do you think we are with with Internet of Things? 
Well, um, I think we're right in the middle of it, um, and or we should be right in the middle of it, um, because it's it's all about, um, I guess, the devices, the equipment that will run the Internet of Things, connecting. Um, so how we actually engage with that, and the more that we uh, embrace that, and as we talked about earlier, being the innovators to um, really look at creative ways to to display the internet of of stuff and con connecting uh, connecting things. That's where I th I believe the AV professional is is going or should real uh, the mindset should be going. I mean, I was at a, a conference recently, and they said by 2017 almost 50% of technology decisions are going to be out of the CIO's office. And so it's going to be in marketing, it's going to be a lot of other places. And so if we don't understand that there's a lot of people making technology decisions and AV decisions that are not out of the CIO's office, um, and we kind of are connected to everything and under and understand that there are devices that people want to be connected to, want to understand, um, will be left behind and the, the IT professional will take the lead and kind of that's another conversation, but will kind of um, will kind of kind of dissolve into that as as A V professionals. So the more that we really not the name but in, embrace the concept of the Internet of Things, we are part of those things. Um, and IBM um, are doing a lot of smart cities, you know, internationally that really are um, looking at, as you said, big data and and how technology and and everything connects together to really help us, I guess, live. And so, as I mentioned before, AV is in is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So the more that we are a part of that conversation, the better we are. Just out of curiosity, does that mean that you know uh, our sales strategies for those people who are integrators and and who who are actively going after new accounts and, and trying to, to get folks to put in um, AV installations. Does that mean that their point people is, are going to spread out and diversify and no longer is, is it going to be the, the head of technology or the head of AV or the, the chief um, information officer, the chief technology officer? It's different people on down the chain. Is that what they're saying? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and because of, because of the Internet, to be quite frankly, uh, um, um, that's a lot of dollars are going going that way, mm -hmm. and so the more that we we understand that there's collective decisions happening in organizations, so it's not just one person, one you know, one department. Um, we need to speak to and have, um, um, I guess, our voice, or, or we're at the table in a lot of different areas. How is this going to look? From a marketing standpoint, how is this going to look from you know a training and development aspect? We really need to know as integrators and manufacturers, you know, here we go back again, the experience of you know what's going on in organizations.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I do see a trend in um, not only targeting the IT group anymore, but, you know, going after different departments and, and different departments have their own budgets. You know, what I see, though, now is that it's more a reactive thing for me. So say some HR manager wants to do interviews over video. So they're using, you know, Skype or something or, the, you know, they're using something and they're not happy with it so they reach out directly to us instead of going to their CIO or their IT company and saying hey I need this or maybe they've tried and the guys have pushed them off or whatever um, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around how do I go after those you know those those sales those other departments and companies when you know they may or may not have interest at this time Victoria do they also they, I, they, they have their own budgets but they are they their, their own decision makers then at that point? So in some companies, I've seen that, yes. Very cool. So cool. We've seen a lot more opportunities from HR as well um, and other departments, not just the IT department or uh, facilities, but uh, HR and even the higher level, C-level people are reaching out to us. Um, we're in a fortunate position here at Advent because we also have a security division, which is huge and a voice data division. So we have a pool of customers and contacts within those customers we can work with. But yeah, you need to reach out. I agree with you, Victoria, on everyone in the company. Because everyone has their own needs and what they see, uh, their direction of their company to go. Okay, so let me understand this. And Andy, we'll keep, we'll keep it with you. Um, so then, how do you how do you figure that? I guess the best way to ask this is how do you figure that out? You know, how do you figure out that that you know customer A is the type of customer we're talking about, but customer B is still everything's siloed and you have to have you have one point person. How do you how do you parse that out? Well, it doesn't hurt to you know shoot an email or request a LinkedIn contact or you know I mean yeah, there's exactly. yeah you just try and then if it goes somewhere, it does you know not I mean it's just part of your targeted. You can do, you know, like we have we have marketing that targets particular titles or whatever, and so you know we target a bunch of HR directors or whatever through some some online campaign, and hey, if we get you know some hits that way. It's your networking efforts alone, um, just person to person, not necessarily with, at least not with us with marketing campaigns, but just uh, keeping the conversation open and uh, meeting people going to the functions and events and asking a lot of questions. Right. I, I think another uh, another thing is your your language, your, your language of solution and out, outcome driven. And so the more that they see you as the solution to not just one problem, um, but a number of, of problems. And I have come to terms with silos are good, you know, um, but we have to speak to those silos, um, but encourage them to come out of those silos because sometimes when they're so stuck in their silos, um, because of integration, you are, you may do something that will hurt the whole organization or another silo. So the more that you change your language that speaks to solutions and outcomes, you'll get the attention of a lot of different departments. 
And, and so it's not just about the equipment, it's about solutions. So you may get a call saying, hey, um, I don't know if you're the right guy or the right person to, to do this, um, but you've handled a solution in, in, in our office or in, you know, in, in our company, and let's take a look. Um, and so I, I think that's a, that's a way. And I think the more that you do as much relationship building through LinkedIn and networking and, and just through the, the context that you have in an organization and that you're seen as a solution versus just a one horse pony that, hey, I just handle this and don't call me for anything else, um, that, um, that's a way that you can get access to different departments. Okay. Yeah, good, good points from Andy and William and Victoria. There's a key question that uh, we have our salespeople uh, use, and it's, who else is involved in this decision? Uh, that's a question that we find can, can, A, introduce you to new people, new decision makers, as well as save your deal. Because if you're talking to Karen and HR, and she realizes that Rachel, who is in charge of uh, production or accounting, they're doing something uh, to address the same scenario or the same situation, uh, and they're taking a different approach or they're asking different questions. If you never meet Rachel in production, your deal is at risk. So we better learn early on that, that Karen's not the only person who's making a decision here. It's also the, it's also the second person. So yeah, um, a, a easy question to ask, who else is involved in this decision? If they say, no, it's me, and they're firm about that, okay, you've got the decision maker. If they say, hmm, you know, it could be, we should probably talk to my boss or probably talk to Karen or Rachel, yeah, there's a big clue about your, the next step you're going to have to take with that deal. That's a great question to ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, all right, uh, National Association of Broadcasters uh, annual event in Las Vegas is next week. Uh, our buddy Josh Frago uh, from soundreason.org is heading out to uh, attend the uh, press conference with Chairman Wheeler. Bunch of new stuff is coming out. Uh, one of the things that's coming out next week uh, from Hitachi that I want to touch on, uh, and because it affects us as AV integrators, and that's the 4K. Um, is from, comes from Commercial Integrator. Uh, Hitachi is showing the first, according to them, the first 4K broadcast camera to utilize original um, HD lenses. Now, for those of you who are not involved in the production of video, that's a big deal. This is the reason why. If you've ever purchased a camera with the lens, most likely a good portion of that purchase price was for the glass. If you've, ne if you've only purchased the body and then gone out to get the glass, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of times that, that glass, and by glass it's, a, it's a, you know, a name, another name for the lens, costs as much if not more than the body of the camera itself. One small little quick uh, nitpicky on, uh, on the, uh, the CI staff, uh, please stop using the term UHD TV 4K. Um, <clears throat> just saying it's either 4k or it's UHD not both just gonna say that so uh, <laughs> that should be a D U H <laughs> I it should be something other than what it said 4k U A yeah never how anyhow look it up Wikipedia 4k is different than UHD TV okay and then there's this stupid thing called that they call 5K, but that's a whole other story. Um, 
Right. So, People in our industry are confused. What do you think about the end users? They're not. The end users are confused. They go to Best Buy, they give them two thousand dollars, and they take whatever the prettiest picture is. But that's just a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm getting I've gotten really involved in long in, week. Yeah, long <laughs> week. But no, here's the thing: that one of the, the things I've been doing is is I'm actually moderating a, a panel um, on 4K uh, for Streaming Media East. Uh, in May, and I've been doing a ton of research, uh, talking to some really, really smart people, way smarter than I will ever be. Um, and this is one of their biggest complaints. Um, streaming media is is um, uh, will be talking with content creators, pr- producers, network engineers about what they really need. And you start getting into the math of this stuff, right? That's that that's when UHD and 4K, and 5K, and 8K really does make a big difference. Because when you're talking about bandwidth, and you're talking about the bandwidth needed, you need a whole heck of a lot more for 4K than you do UHD TV. Because the resolution's different, right? Because the resolution directly affects the the amount of bandwidth you need. But that's, anyhow, I'm getting off on a tangent. Andy, where are we at with 4K and UHD and all this jazz when it comes, you know, Hitachi and everybody else and their brother is doing a really good job of giving the content creators uh, 4K tools. Um, Some folks are doing a really good job with the displays. The transports are coming along. Uh, I hesitate to use the word limping along, but they're getting there, right? Um, so, so where are we where are we at when it comes to 4K? Well, if you're creating your own content like you would be with this Hitachi camera, fantastic. Um, I think the transport system is better than limping along. I think it's it's there. Okay. I think the biggest issues right now would be with uh, content protection. Uh, if I understand it correctly, DirecTV has launched a satellite in recent months specifically for 4K content. They have another one going up. Um, of course, you can download 4K content. HDCP, uh, we all know and love that so much. Um, the newest version apparently is 2.2. It has not been rolled out yet. Specifically designed and will be rolled out to protect 4K content. Uh, many of the current uh, chipsets will not support HDCP 2.2. I had a little discussion with Melissa Dillman on this. She seems to be really uh, up on this topic. And unfortunately, I learned about HCCP 2.2 from some of my residential uh, people. And I don't hear it being talked about in the commercial circles nearly as much. So maybe a month or so ago, I posted something on LinkedIn about it, got an overwhelming response from a lot of people. And uh, everything was, everybody was in agreement with that uh, you know, that, that residential is on this and commercial is not. So since it's not backwards compatible, requires a new chipset, I do see this as a problem with the early adopters who got on the 4K bandwagon. Um, I had an interesting call from Crestron after about two days after I posted that LinkedIn uh, post. Uh, wanted to know a little bit more of my thought on that and whether or not, well, I gotta be careful here. That's all right. Crestron indicated that they're well aware of the situation. They're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see how everything pans out, which is a legitimate response. Um, some of their 
equipment and they do you know they talk about all their 4k compatibility or or 4k compliancy um, some of it is complying with 2.2 and some of it is not from what I understand um, but I couldn't get a handle on what was and what wasn't as far as model to model so you know the 4k resolution looks fantastic we all know that one's 8k gonna be out too that's another thing I hear all the time I, the only 4K sets I've sold are to the medical industry, too. I've yet to sell one to a uh, corporate client. Well, uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Eventually, it'll become yeah. like HD, right? Where you can't find yeah. you can't yeah. find an SD uh, monitor to save your life. So, uh, it, it, speaking of Melissa, Melissa actually will be on the panel that I'm moderating. So, yeah, she's she's sure. a great resource. Um, Victoria, from from your from your standpoint, where uh, where where do we sit with 4K? Well, um, I'm not a huge lover of 4K <laughs> just yet. Um, Embrace it, I mean, Victoria. I Let mean, it take I've over seen you. It. Yes, it looks awesome. Okay, wow, it's so <laughs> cool. But you know, it's it's kind of annoying that the manufacturers are pushing it so much, and even to the point where you know, Crestron is getting rid of some of their non-4K transmitter receivers and other parts and pieces and stuff. And it's like, you might as well just sell them 4K, but, you know. And that's fine. I mean, the cost is almost the same for the infrastructure. But where my um, my qualm, or whatever you want to say, with, with it is I don't feel that everybody needs it. I don't feel that it has to be there just because it's available. You know, I mean, 1080p on a 60-inch monitor looks awesome. And, you know, for your normal corporate, you know, small to medium conference room, why do they need 4K? I mean, and then and then the other thing is 8K is coming. So it's like where, the, where it is specialized, you know, like in um, simulation or, um, you know, immersive experiences, um, it's like, might as well wait, because by the time they figure it out, 8K is going to be around the corner. And so for me, I don't push 4K. Um, I've only had like one or two clients ask me about it, and I'm, and I'm like, you don't need it <laughs> right now. All right, that, that's a, a valid answer. Uh, Mr. Bill, where do you, where do you think uh, we, we sit when it comes to 4K? Well, um this is, uh, hopefully I'm trying not to be a soapbox uh, issue here for me, is the, it's, it's all how we bring it to the marketplace. It is all these bells and whistles so loud and there is, you know, this, this all-in mentality, but at the same time have this, um, this, toe in the water type of thing to figure out if people are going to accept it. And the, the more that we really kind of own that we are, we are going to lead the way or we're going to forward something and that we are going to educate the end user or the most beneficial early adopter of this um, new technology, meaning 4K, um, it's, 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 it's really noise. It gets in the way. It really has people, as you said before, will just say, I'll just go to Best Buy and get that. Or I'll just, you know, I'll throw my hands up 
in the air until these quote-unquote professionals figure it out. And the, the more that um, we allow manufacturers to just, um, no better word, half-ass, put things out there and say this is the next big thing, um, and then leave you know, consultants and integrators to kind of deal with the fallout of that, um, you know, we're going to be here. So it's going to be 4K, 8K, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it does it look good or doesn't, doesn't it look good? Can I afford it or can I, you know, I, I can't afford it. Um, so the, the more that we really justify or in, embrace or celebrate the, um, that what's new and really support um, the end users adopting it and utilizing it in their environment, we're just gonna we're just gonna get on this merry-go-round all over again for the next great thing. Well, is it isn't that kind of how technology's moved? I mean, that's um, for good lord, 1960s to late that so 40 years, 30 years. Um, we didn't have a great advancement in, in video technology and display technology. I mean, yeah, you had from the 1930s-ish to 1960s, it was black and white. It was standard definition. 1960s, you got, you got color uh, in, in a significant way. We spent from the 1960s into the late 90s um, in standard definition mode. Then suddenly we had, you know, you had your 720, and then you had, you know, 1080i and 1080p and over the last 10 or 15 years. So isn't this just a, a, a an evolution uh, of of display technology? I'm not talking about 3D. 3D is still to me a gimmick. There are legitimate uses for it. Absolutely, I won't get into those. But this is nothing more than than a resolution evolution to me. Well, I, I think because um, the high def, how it was introduced, type of thing, it really didn't really catch on to the level to move from, you know, 720 to the 1080 to, uh, you know, to, to move forward. So people are still figuring out, hey, you know, 1080 is good. Let me stay there, you know. But but as, as we know, technology is moving. There's a lot more advancements than we saw in the past. You are exactly right that people from the 30s to the 60s were like, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. It takes a long time. That time has shortened so much, but we haven't really um, stomached educating the end user and really helping them through the fast pace um, of technology to really say, this is useful, this is not useful, let's, you know, you can move on with this or you can just go on from there. And that is the biggest challenge that I think we have um, to really get people to adopt and pay um, what needs to happen um, so it can be integrated in their, in their systems and in their organization. All right, that, that, that's valid. I get that. All right, uh, that is going to be the last word because uh, we are all out of time. Uh, Andy Barris uh, from Advent, thank you so much, sir. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, well, how can people get a hold of you and or Advent? Uh, you can reach me at Andy B, A-N-D-Y-B, at adventsystems.com. 
or just hook me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me very easily right there, or Twitter, at Andy Barris. Andy Barris, very good. All right. Uh, Nathan Smith from... That's right. Uh, Nathan Smith from Go Rave. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks very much. If anyone wants to get in touch, uh, reach me at Twitter, at Go Rave Audio, as well on LinkedIn. Uh, Nathan Smith, I work for Eleven Electronics, which is the maker of Go Rave. All right, very good. Uh, also with us is Victoria Ferrari. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you guys want to look me up, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, Victoria0429, Google+. Um, I have 317 followers on Twitter right now. Woo-hoo! So uh, trying to get to 500 before Infocom. So we'll see if that happens. But uh, we're feel trying free to get, okay. follow. Let's, I've, I've been quiet on my Twitter feed lately. I've been busy, but hopefully I'll be shooting out some tantalizing tweets. Let's make this a contest. <laughs> Let, let's give the, the five, your 500th uh, follower some aviation stuff. Like uh, we got some uh, some coffee mugs and some T-shirts and stuff from ISE and yeah, let's do that. So whoever is, is cool. Victoria's 500th uh, follower will give you guys uh, an Aviation uh, team package, I guess. We'll, we'll call it that. A coffee mug and some t-shirts and stuff. So, oh, that's great. Get you some get you some followers Thanks. there before. before. And Victoria's going to help us out with at Infocom as well. So, uh, Mr. Bill Brown, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. It is always a pleasure. And um, from the last time I was I was here, I just had so much technology issues. Oh, don't 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 um, even bring it up. See if if you don't but, mention uh, it. <laughs> but uh, but no, but it's it's flying on. I can be reached on Twitter at uh, bdbrowncom with two M's. Um, and I'm not anywhere near the uh, hundred. But let's let's do 300 before infocom right okay and we'll, and we'll be good and i'll keep some uh, uh um some activity on my my twitter account i'm on linkedin william bill brown um you know on there and and facebook and uh, google plus and zero geekspeak.net is my blog all right zero geekspeak.net uh my name is tim albright if you really want to follow me, it's TD Albright. Uh, but more importantly for me and everybody here at Aviation, uh, go by the website if you would please. Uh, Aviation.tv. Aviation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, Aviation is just not one is not just one chucklehead from St. Louis. It's it's folks from from all over the the all over the the country. Honestly, at this point, all over the world um, involved in the AV industry. Uh, we just did another uh, debate show. AV Crosstalk with, with Brock McGinnis and Leonard Suskin. Um, we have a new uh, EdTech coming down the pipeline. I mentioned uh, our buddy Josh Rago's going to NAB next week. So, yeah, lots of great people doing some really cool things, uh, and they, they still let me host this on a weekly basis. So go by the website, if you would, please, avnation.tv. Uh, we'll have a sign-up uh, for the tweet-up, which we'll be doing during Infocom. Uh, it will be Thursday uh, of Infocom this year. If you want some more information on that, we also have a, a sign-up for our, uh, our uh, newsletter on the, uh, the front page of the website as well. So, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.